Hollywood movie stars use moment, moment, moment of clarity. Baby, baby, it's your man Stefan G. You're tuned in to another eclectic episode of Moment of Clarity right here on the Promise Life Network. And today we are talking about, I don't know if I want to tell them, Mike. Maybe I just maybe I'll keep it a secret. Maybe I won't tell them what we're talking about today. I don't um, know. It's a radio show, <laughs> so I would suggest that you do. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I keep that a secret. I want to talk today about um, a topic that is very close to my heart because it's something that I went through very deeply, and that topic is spiritual abuse. And spiritual abuse has gotten more recognition over the past 10 years um but it's still very very under like underbelly you know what i mean it's still very hidden there's not a lot of people talking about it there's not a lot of people that know about it there's not a lot of people that realize that they are in spiritual abusive relationships or spiritually abusive situations or spiritually abusive environments and i've not talked about this for a long time, but I felt like it was kind of time to talk about it again because there are people out there that are in a spiritually abusive church. And if you are, you need to know. And I don't want you to stay there. I want you to run to the closest exit and get out as fast as you possibly can. And so you ask, well, how do I know if I'm in a spiritually abusive church? I'm about to tell you. The thing about spiritual abuse is Spiritual abuse can be so subtle. And a lot of people who are spiritually abusing others, most of them don't realize that's what they're doing. Most of them are genuine Christian pastors, genuine Christian ministers who are doing either what they were taught to do or what they believe is a best way to advance their personal ministry or their church or what they believe to be God's purpose or God's will. You know what I mean? Doing, it's, it's, you'll hear a lot of the spiritual abusers talk about doing the work of the kingdom, doing God's work, you know, advancing the kingdom of God. You'll hear those statements a lot. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what spiritual abuse is. Then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how to get out of spiritual abuse. But I don't want you to automatically think you're in a spiritual abusive relationship, spiritually abusive relationship. Because like I said, it's very subtle. You really have to pay attention. First thing I'll do is I'll tell my story. I was in a church that was outrageously spiritually abusive, and I didn't realize it for a very long time. And I was trying to figure out what was wrong with my life, and I was going to counselors and counselors and counselors and counselors, you know, day after day after day, and they all were dying to tell me to get out of this church, but because they had ethics and morals, they didn't. But I found out later that they were. But basically how it broke down was I was going to this church and all of my time was dedicated to this church. My every waking hour was dedicated to this church. Anything that I was doing that was not me taking care of my work or me taking care of my family was me taking care of my church. And sometimes work and family got pushed aside so that I could take care of the church because nothing was more important 
than taking care of the church. Nothing was more important than working in the church because working in the church meant you, I was working for God. And I mean, I did it all. I was a deacon in the church. I was the sound man in the church. I was the lighting guy in the church. I helped set up the church, helped tear down the church. I was uh, armor bearer in the church at one point in time. I was the minister of music in the church, the praise and worship leader in the church at one point in time. I gave the first scripture, you know, the the, the weekly scripture. I, I preached messages like I did it all. I was close to being a minister, but could never quite get enough sin out of my life <laughs> in order to be a minister. But. And, it, and that was really a good thing, because if I had ever become a minister in this church, I'd still be there today and nobody would have ever been able to pull me out. But I did everything and I was there every time it was open. Every time the church was available, I was there. Sundays, I was there all day on Sunday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Wednesdays for Bible study, I was there all night long. I was there till 12 o'clock and it was a black church. So, you know. They talk way too long. They never shut up. And so I was there doing everything I possibly could. I was driving the pastor around, you know, being in the ministry of helps. I was driving the pastor around, pick, pick her up here, take her there, go to this place, go to that place, pick this stuff up, drop it off over there. I mean, everything. Like We were chauffeurs. We were baggage handlers. The, the pastor had people stand outside the front of the bathroom stall, stand guard in front of the bathroom stall so that people would not attack her for her anointing in hotel rooms. When we go to a hotel and she would go to preach, one of her armor bearers would have to stand outside the front stall while she (laughs) and did number twos. Seriously. Girls don't do that, Stefan. <laughs> My bad. Girls don't poop. I forgot. Thank you. Sorry, Mike. Thank you. Guys, Mike thinks that girls don't fart and poop. So, <laughs> <laughs> And he's thought this for years. Ever since I've known him, he's like, girls don't poop. Shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Thank you. But um, she would have people stand outside the stall and, and watch guard. Now, granted, she was the pastor of a 14-person church. So there wasn't too many people that were trying to get after her. But she would have people stand outside and watch guard and make sure nobody was trying to attack her for her anointing. She would have people drive her wherever she needed to go, even though she had her own car. She would have people drive to her house to pick up her car, to put her in it, to drive her car to wherever she needed to be. She would have people do just outrageous stuff. Come to my house and cook for me. Come to my house and clean my house for me. Clean up this, clean up that, clean up the church, clean my car. And we did it all. Like me and the other 12 members did it all. And at one point in time, there was only like six of us because some people were like, screw this, I'm out of here. But we were locked in. And the reason we got locked in is because we all grew up with a separation from our mothers. Every last one of us that was in that church that stayed grew up with a separation from our mothers. If you've heard me talk about my mom before, you've heard me talk about how my mother abandoned me when I was a young child. And so for a couple of years, for a little bit of time, my mom left me to live with an abusive stepfather. That's what I mean when I say she abandoned me. And it was right around eight years old. So a very, you know, very important time frame in a young boy's life and bonding with his mother. And so every last one of us that was in that church had that problem. We all had a separation from our parental units. And so what this pastor does was she stepped into that role and she became the mother figure in our lives. And I believe that she sincerely wanted to do it, but I believe that she also had 
a there was something in her that wanted everybody to bow down to her because she hadn't made it to where she thought she should be by now. And this was her way of having authority. And so she used the wounds and the hurt that we'd experienced as children because everybody in the church, let me also say, was under the age of 25. Anybody with any age on them, 25, 27, 32, 35, 45, they lasted a week and they were gone. So she really pulled on this void that we all had in us for a mother figure in our lives. And after she did that, she prophesied to us. And she told us our future. And we believed her. I pro- in the name of Jesus, I prophesy this. And they, I hear God say this for your life. I hear God say that for your life. That's actually how they got me to join the church. So I joined the church. I came up. I visited one day. And the pastor, she called me up. I just want to, is it okay if I talk to you for a little while? Yeah, go ahead. Talk to me, pastor. I don't care. Whatever. I'm here because this chick was cute. And she asked me if I wanted to go to church with her. And so she begins to prophesy to me. Oh, I see God's telling me if the devil's going to try to get you, he's going to do it this way and blah, blah, blah. And everything she said was true. And I broke down in tears and I said, this must be God. And unfortunately, it was not. But she prophesied on a regular basis. And every time she felt us moving away, every time she felt us getting distant, every time she felt like we were just about to break free, she would prophesy something into our lives that would keep us there. She would give us an inspiring guy. I hear God say that your breakthrough is right around the corner. And if you just keep on the track that you're on right now, well, that's not directly telling me to stay in this church, but it's indirectly telling me stay in this church. And so she would do things like that. And then in the typical spiritual abusive fashion, she would do things like she would project a distorted view of what respect is. Respect is earned and not granted. But she wanted to demand respect from us because of the place of authority that she stood in. Because she was the apostle, she was the bishop, then she demanded this respect that she hadn't earned. And I'm saying she because she was a female pastor, but I've seen male pastors do the same thing. They demand an, She demanded an allegiance to this church. This church was the only church that was doing it the right way. You hear a lot of we are the, the scripture that says we are a peculiar people. You hear a lot of use of that scripture because we're the only ones that are doing it the right way. Everybody else is doing it the regular way, and we're the trailblazers. We're the ones, we're the apostles. We are laying the foundation. We are breaking new ground. You'll hear a lot of that talk in spiritual abusive churches. If you, when you start hearing breaking new ground and trailblazing and, apost- and apostolic talk and talking about we're the only ones doing it the right way, we've got the right theology, people aren't, you know, people don't see things the way we see things, we've got a deeper understanding of Christ. Whenever you start hearing things like that, you need to raise your antenna. Another thing that she did that became culture in the church was to suppress any kind of criticism, any kind of criticism. You could not question anything the pastor said because the pastor was the voice of God. And so questioning the pastor was questioning Christ himself. The religious system is not based on truth in a spiritually abusive environment. So it can't allow questions. It can't allow dissent. It can't allow open discussions. Everything is always from you, from their mouth to your ear. When you start to ask questions, you'll notice that they either dodge your question or answer them in a sideways kind of manner. Because questioning anything is a challenge to the authority. And that's actually how I ended up breaking out of the church, was I started to question things. But I'll tell you guys about that in a minute.
you'll notice that spiritually abusive churches have a lot of perfectionism in them. Everything has to be perfect. There's no room for mistakes. There's no room for grace. It's given, but it's given at such, it's given with a string attached to it, basically. The grace is always given with a string attached to it, that you can have this grace. You can, we can forgive you for this sin that you've committed against the church, but only if you will wake up on Sunday mornings and clean out the storage space. You know, there was always some type of duty or responsibility attached to you being forgiven for being human. And it wasn't said in a manner that says, okay, you can do this, but you'll have to do that instead. It was always, well, yeah, we'll forgive you for this, but we're going to need a deeper commitment from you now. We're going to need to see more from you now. Failure, failure is condemned strongly in spiritually abusive environments. But it keeps you thinking that you're successful. As long as you think you're succeeding, as long as you're following the rules, and you get you become proud of following these rules. You become proud of being able to s- succeed under this perfectionist regime. And so you begin to have some some pride and some elitism and some arrogance. The truth is, eventually you just get burnt out. Another thing that you'll find in spiritually abusive environments is that the leader is always very charismatic. And you have to depend on one leader. There's never a group of leaders. It's always one person in charge and only that one person. You might have other ministers in the church, but those ministers have zero authority. Everything has to go through the pastor. Every single thing. And they demand strict servanthood of their followers. You have to be servants of them. Not servants of God, but servants of them as a pastor. Like seriously, you have to be servants of that person. That's person you'll find that person often takes the first seat. They always want to be in front. They always want to be at the place of applause and the place where they can be lauded. And you'll always see that their spirituality is based on either an outward performance, which is the charismatic aspect, or you'll see that they're based on the prophetic. Because prophetic leaves a big avenue for spiritual abuse. And so these are all the things that I dealt with in this church on a regular basis, on a regular basis. But I didn't think there was anything wrong with it because that's just the way church was. And I thought I was serving God and I thought I was becoming a good Christian and I thought I was, you know, working my way up in the church. I made it up to deacon. I was about to be a minister and everything was going to be good. And then there was a visitor to the church. And when we get back, I'll tell you what he had to say. Moment of clarity. Stefan G. Be back in a second. Moment of clarity is your man Stefan G. We are talking about spiritual abuse. And so I went through all of this stuff in the church and it was pretty, it was some pretty bad stuff. And then one day I started dating this girl in the church, right? And I know I told you about the visitor. I'll get to the visitor in just a second. 
Started dating this girl in the church who later actually became my wife, which was a huge mistake. But we won't talk about that part quite yet. Started dating this girl in the church. Started screwing this girl in the church. And I started noticing that out of all the prophecy and out of all of the spiritual talk and out of all of the, because she would say things like, you guys think you're getting away with stuff, but God shows me and I can see it. And God tells me and, you know, like God was just giving her all our secrets, right? Me and this girl were like, we were banging, okay? We were like, we were having sex. Like, it wasn't just, oh, we did it once. We were getting it on, like, big time, okay? Both of us in the church. We weren't doing it in the church, but we were both members of the same church, and we were rocking it. Like I said, she later became my wife, which doesn't excuse me having sex with her when I wasn't married to her, but it makes me feel better, so I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) And I started to notice that my pastor has absolutely no clue that I am banging her armor bearer up and down the road every other day. This is the armor bearer. This is the person that she can spiritually feel when she's preaching, that she can spiritually feel when she's ministering to somebody. When she's standing up there prophesying, you know how armor bearers are in black churches. They're standing behind the pastor talking in tongues, and the pastor's like, I can feel your energy, and you're empowering me, and all this other kind of crap. And this is the person that you can spiritually feel that when they touch you, you can feel their entire spiritual aura. You can't feel that I am tearing that thing up. And I started to be like, hmm, maybe this ain't everything I thought it was. Because she should definitely be able to see this. Now, the first time we had sex, I was worried. Because I was worried she was going to see it and prophesy it and get how we was going to get in trouble. And the second time, I was like, oh, we need to stop doing this. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I wasn't worried about God. I was worried about the church. I was worried about the pastor. That's a key to knowing you're in a spiritually abusive situation. I was like, maybe we shouldn't keep doing this. And then after a while, I was like, she don't see nothing. We good. And then there was a visitor to the church. No, let me step back. And then she, the pastor found out that me and this young girl were dating. And she tried to break us up. Because she didn't like that we didn't ask her permission if it was okay for us to date. And so she, she made us, well, she made my girl, my ex-wife, I only did it because I was supporting my ex-wife because I wasn't going to do it. And she was like, we have to. And I was like, Ugh, I'm having sex with you. I have to say yes. And so we got up in front of the church and had to apologize to the church for dating each other without the pastor's permission. Yeah. Spiritual abuse, ladies and gentlemen. So once that started, I started asking my counselors a lot of questions, Right. And I started telling God, God, I want out of this church. Like, this is not the kind of church I want to be in. You know, this this is ridiculous. I have to apologize for dating somebody. I, sh- I should have just never told you. Because I'm doing a whole lot more than dating, dog, and you just don't know it. But I started telling God I want it out. So this person comes and he's, we're having, you know, this, you know, pastor's appreciation, church anniversary, pastor's birthday, one of them. And somebody comes and they're a speaker at the church for that particular celebration. And they started preaching on how God was going to do things great in this church. You know how they come in. God's going to do amazing things in this church, and you guys are going to heal the land, and you're going to change lives, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. And these seats are empty now, but I prophesy in the name of Jesus, these seats are going to be filled. 
And then he went to a scripture. I can't remember which scripture it was. I've read it a million times since then. But he went to a scripture in the Bible that said, and he read the entire scripture. And basically the scripture said, God's, these were God's words. God said, I had turned my back on you. And I had left you. Basically, I had left you for dead. I had ignored you when you called out to me. Yet now I am turning my face back to you. And I am bringing you back in my arms. And then the preacher decided to go off. And God's going to do amazing and wonderful things. And y'all all going to be rich. And it's all going to be wonderful. And everything's going to be fantastic. And life's going to be great. And the church is going to be full and blah, 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 blah. And while everybody in the church is screaming and hollering and celebrating and excited and clapping, me and my, and me and my wife are looking at each other like, y'all didn't hear that? Y'all didn't catch that part? And... We left the service that day. We got in the car together because we drove together. We drove back. And I was like, and I looked at her and she looked at me and I was like, did you catch that? She was like, yeah, I caught it. Did you catch it? I was like, yeah, I caught it too. Nobody paid attention to the fact that the pastor started off with God saying he had turned his back on us. God saying that he completely ignored us. God saying that he didn't want to have anything to do with us. They were so caught up in the, and God's going to do great things now part. They completely ignored the fact that God just said he completely ignored us. And that's where we stood. We stayed right there. We were like, well, why would he say that? Why, if, if this pastor that came in was actually speaking what God wanted him to speak, right? He actually sought out God for a message. And God told him, this is the message I want you to give to this particular congregation at this particular time in this particular area, right? And he preached that message. And you can tell once he went off message because that's when everything became rich and famous and all that kind of stuff. But if you listen to where the message was, the part that God told him to say, you turn around and you say, why would you turn your back on it? And that's what me and my ex-wife, she's my ex-wife now, that's what me and my ex-wife started focusing on. We started praying about it real hard. God, why did you turn your back on us? What are we doing wrong? What did we mess up? Why did you turn away from us? Why did you ignore us? Why? Because now it all made sense. We were like, well, this is why we can't get nothing done in our lives. This is why we keep getting fired from jobs. This is why we can't graduate from college. This is why, you know, because we're all young kids at this point in time. So in our minds, we're like, well, this is why it's all happening like this. And so we focus in that area for about two weeks. We spent the first week just petitioning God for an answer. And we spent the second week praying for our pastor. Praying hardcore. I mean like four times a day, at least a half hour each time for seven days straight. And we fasted in the middle of it. We were hard. We were thug Christians. And we laid that thing down. And we came back to church the following Sunday after the fast and the prayer for the pastor. And the pastor got up on, on in front of the pulpit and told everybody how she had been sick for the past week or so. And that while she was sick, God had revealed to her that there were people in the church that were talking bad about the church. And that's why she got sick. And that God had revealed to her that the people that were talking, she didn't, God didn't tell her who the people were, that the people were talking bad about the church, and that's why she got sick, because we were speaking word curses over her life. And she declared, out of her mouth, I swear to God, this is absolute truth, she declared in front of the entire congregation that she would pray that God would kill us dead before she would allow that to happen again. 
She said her words, I will tell God to kill each and every last one of you before I allow myself to get sick like that again. And I looked at my, <laughs> I looked at my girl and she looked at me and I said, I guess that's the answer to that first petition. <laughs> and we went back and I went back and I told my counselor about it and I was like, I gotta get out of here, dude. I was like, this is crazy. I've never had a pastor tell me that they were going to pray to God that I would die because they got sick. And I'm sitting here and I'm watching, I'm watching the enemy twist things, right? I'm watching Satan twist things because I know me and my girl had been praying our hearts out for our pastor that God would just blow her up and do amazing things and, you know, speak to her heart and heal her broken wounds and, and bring her to an elevated place. I mean, we were thug praying over this lady. And I watched the enemy twist that into these are the people that made you sick. These are the people that made you the way you, that made you feel like you were on your deathbed. They were not praying for you. They were praying word curses. And so I started asking questions and I started asking and God started giving me dreams and I woke up and I had a dream. No, I had a dream. I asked God if I could leave the church. He said, yes. He said, you have to wait. I was doing the church's website at the time. He's like, you have to wait till the website's finished. I said, I don't want to wait till the website's finished. I want to leave now. He said, no, you have to wait till the website's finished. I said, I don't want to wait till the website's finished. He said, you have to wait until the website's finished. You just had to argue with God, didn't you? I did. We went oh, back and forth. I'm serious. I know people say, oh, I don't hear God audibly, but I heard it in my spirit. No, you got to wait till the website's done. You got to do this the right way, Right. And I kept telling him, I don't want to do that. And he was like, you have to. And I was like, fine. Because I was a much better Christian then than I am now. <laughs> Not so sure of that. <laughs> and so during that time, I started asking questions. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? How come God this? How come God that, right? And I came and I questioned my pastor about a prophecy that she had given me. She had prophesied to me that I would have my own radio station, my own office, my own studio within three months, and I would have assistance and this and that and the other thing, right? I'm telling you, just trying to keep you in the system, trying to keep you in the church. And so, you guys should see Mike's face right now. <laughs> and so, I came back to her and I asked her, because it had been way past three months, and I asked, why didn't that happen? Because when you prophesied to me, you did not prophesy any conditions on it. It wasn't, if you do this, then you'll get this. It was strictly, this is going to happen in your life. Praise God for it. It's awesome. He loves you. He's going to make it happen. And it didn't happen. And you put a timeline on it as a prophet, too. You said it would happen in three months. And here we are eight months later, and it hasn't happened. Why not? Right? And we had the conversation. And during the conversation, she was rather, uh, she was, you know, she was all right. She had the conversation with me. She went home that night, she came back the next day, and we had to have a conference the next day. Deacon Gillum, can I speak to you after church, please? I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> what did I do? We sit down, I thought about what you asked me yesterday, and I prayed about it, and God rebuked me for letting you rail against God like that. And I said, what? God rebuked me for have, uh, sitting there and listening to you talk against him and talk against his word and talk against what he had prophesied into your life. Now, little did she know, before I went and asked her those questions, me and God had a conversation because I asked him first. I didn't come ask her first. And when I asked God, 
he brought back to me some things that I had been taught during my rise as a Christian, as I grew as a Christian. And one of the things I was taught was whenever you're worried or you have a question about what God is doing or you don't believe and you're not having faith or whatever, you ask a couple of questions, two questions. The first question is, is God God, right? If you can answer yes to that question, you can go to question number two. But if you can't answer yes to that question, it doesn't matter what else happens after that. First question is, is God God? The answer is yes, I believe God is God. Okay, is God's word true? then yes, God's word is true. So if God is God and God's word is true, then all you have to do is find in his word the answer to whatever it is you're dealing with, right? That's what I was taught. And he brought that back to me that night before I went and asked my pastor all those questions. He said, am I God? I was like, yeah, you are God. And he brought back to me the second question, is God's word true? And I was like, yeah, God's word's true. And then my mind clicked and it said, well, if God's word's true, then God can't tell a lie. And if this didn't happen, he didn't say it. And if he didn't say it, then it must be her. And I started like bawling and crying and pouring my heart out to God for all of the things that this woman had promised me that had never come to fruition in my life, right? And so I went to her the next day and started asking her about it. And she went to sleep that night and came back to me the very next day after that and told me that God rebuked her for letting me go off on him like that. And I'm sitting here listening to this and going, I wasn't even talking about God. I was talking about you. And he knows that because he and I already had a conversation about this. And that's when that was the second I knew this is over. I went back to God and said, God, I got to get out of here. He said, you got to wait till you finish the website. I said, I don't want to wait till I finish the website. I want out now. He said, okay, 30 days. I was like, all right, 30 days is, I got a, a sticking point. I can do 30 days, right? And during this time, I'm talking to my girlfriend, and I'm trying to pull her out, you know? I'm trying to pull her mind out because she's still locked in there. She's still believing this is the only place that's doing it the right way. This is where God's blessing is. She's brought in other prophets, then prophet, prophetesses that say this is where God's blessing is, and this is the, the church that's going to pave the way for all the other churches in the Central Florida area and this, that, and the other thing. By the way, they do still have 18 members. This was eight years ago, 10 years ago. And then one day, I came to God and I said, I can't take it anymore. I absolutely positively can't take it anymore. You know, she had told us she was going to kill us. She had told, she had made us do all this work for her, clean her house, cut her grass, you know, clean her car, all this, all in the name of doing work for Christ, being servants of Christ. If you're going to be a leader, you have to first learn how to be a servant. All of that twisted and manipulated to be spiritually abusive, using the wounds that we had as children, that we were separated from our parents, the the void that we have from our mothers, to step in and be a mother and act like a mother. And we would come to her with stuff that we would never talk to our parents about. And I told God, I said, I can't take it anymore. I gotta get out. I said, I gotta get out. I went to church that Sunday and she sat me down after church And she started crying. And she said, I don't know how to do this. And I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And I don't know how to do this. But I have to kick you out of this church. And I said, okay. (laughs) 
And she said, and I don't know what God's trying to do, but I can't keep you here. I was like, all right, have a nice day. And I left. And I looked at my calendar, and it was 30 days exactly from the time that God had told me, wait 30 days, and you'll be able to go. And I said all of that just to give you a story, some background, as to how deep spiritual abuse can be. How it can mirror, how it can hide itself inside the word. How it can hide itself in the apostolic prophetic movement. How it can hide itself inside the wounds that you have as a child. And if you feel like you might be in any way in a spiritually abusive church or a spiritually abusive ministry, I want you to go online and just look up the word, just Google spiritual abuse and you'll find all kinds of help out there. Because this break from this church is what helped me to become who I am now. It's one of the reasons that I put churches under such a fine-tuned microscope. It's one of the reasons that my personal company is built to help minister and develop and grow churches in the right way so that they are actually ministering to the congregation and not having the congregation minister to the pastor. It's one of the reasons that one of my foundational statements is if God gave you a vision to build a church, then it's up to you to build that church. It's not up to your congregation to build that church. He gave you that vision. And you can find the help and the assistance and the resources that you need as you go along. But I'm tired of churches abusing the population because the pastor has an ego complex and somebody spoke in his life and told him he was going to speak to nations. So he put the word international at the end of his ministry and his behind ain't never left the state. I'm tired of churches abusing the congregations and, and making people do crazy things and having these people believe they're doing it for God when they're just doing it for that person. If you want to do something for God, you don't ever have to step into the building of a church. I'm telling you this from somebody who not only has experience, but this is my passion in life right now. I want people to learn how to actually do for God and to stop doing for all of these independent corporations on every corner that call themselves churches. All these nonprofit corporations that call themselves churches that are taking these people's money and taking these people's time and not showing them the way to Christ. If you haven't had a chance, go listen to last week's podcast and listen to all the sin that we are involved in in our lives. And we've got all these churches on every corner in the most religious country in the world. And we are still broken and we are still hurt and we are still just doing everything backwards. We are still fornicating, we're still adulterous, we're still lying, we're still gossiping, we're still hating, we're still angry, we're still hurt, we're still mad, we still can't get a connection to Christ, and all of these independent nonprofit corporations are not helping you like they're supposed to. And I want everyone who's listening and I want everyone who's in the church to make sure that you are involved in a way to make sure that people are getting the help that they need that the homeless are getting the help that they need, that the hungry are getting the help that they need, that the mentally ill are getting the help that they need, that the children are getting the learning that they need, that they're getting the nutrition that they need, that the elderly are getting the companionship that they need, that the destitute are getting the workforce education that they need. We need to start helping people grow instead of helping churches grow because I'm telling you again, your church is nothing more than a nonprofit corporation.
That's what that building is. But we are the church. We are the church. And if we can help us grow, if we can help more people grow, we'll do better things. Moment of Clarity, Stefan G. Catch you guys next time.